say uh, Sylvia, Terry, Howard, and family, because we, <laughs> we have brought some family with us. song that Sylvia's going to sing for us today. I learned it first from my father-in-law, Carol's dad, Wendell Brown. Some of you might remember Wendell Brown. And uh, it really reminds us that we need to, in this day and age especially, Amen. express our, our love and care for each other. Um, it seems like in this day and age it's gone. But you have to make a mental effort to be kind to each other. It's called, give me the roses while I live. Yeah. 
If you brought your Bible, why don't you turn to Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. Let me uh, set the table, if you will. Uh, John was living on the island of Patmos, and um, he was having visions and writing the book of Revelation. And this particular vision was the vision of the three angels' messages, which are more pertinent today, I think, than maybe ever. And even though the verse starts out, then I saw another angel, it's actually the first angel of the three. So starting in verse 6, it says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, saying, The everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Sabbath, everyone. For a moment, I thought I would need a stool to stand on when this got higher. <laughs> oh, but uh, this will work. So I, I want to share with you um, a message that has weighed heavily on my heart, and, um, and that, we, that was when we were studying our Sabbath school lesson last quarter. It's entitled, Fear God and Give Glory to Him. Let us have, let's bow our head for prayer, lest I forget, um, to invite God's uh, presence. Father in heaven, we bow before you now to hear a word from you. We know that we are living in times that are very serious, and I know that you have a word for us today. Lord, forgive us, forgive me of my sins. And make me a clean vessel for you to use. And pour out your Holy Spirit upon me at this time. Let not me be seen, but Christ be seen. And may we hear your word today. And may it convict our hearts and change our lives and bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As Terry was mentioning about the, 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 the passage of Scripture, first of all, I, I really love that song, Terry and Family. Give me roses while I'm alive and cheer me on, and it's useless when I'm dead. It, that's a very, very powerful message. It tells us we need to love each other and show each other love and kindness now while we are alive and chariots along. What good are those roses when we're dead? We're dead. Probably it's good for our families, but not, certainly not good for the person who is dead. And Gabby, thank you for the children's story. I love him anyway. Which tell us that Jesus loves us unconditionally. There is nothing that any of us can do 
to make Jesus love us any less. He loved us unconditionally. He loved us even before we sinned. He died on the cross for our sins. So the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ the creator, Christ the dying lamb, Christ the king of kings and lord of lords. Christ coming back to this earth to take his children home is what the book of Revelation is all about. The book of Revelation brings us warnings, warning in love, warnings that tell us of the stupendous crisis, not, that, not only what we're in now, but what is to come. Warnings that tell us of the grace, mercy, goodness, and love of God. These warnings must be taken seriously. Throughout the ages, God has given warnings of his upcoming judgment. We see Noah, who preached 120 years, and they rejected the message. Their probation was closed. We see uh, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, who that night took the cups from the, the, the treasury, and these cups were taken from the... Uh, the, 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 the temple in Jerusalem and took the golden vessels that were dedicated to God and drank wine and praised his gods. And his probation was closed that night. He saw the writing on the wall, Mine, Mine, Tikel, you far sin. You are weighed in the balance and found wanting. We saw Sodom and Gomorrah, whose probation was closed. The angel went over to warn them, to talk to Lot and his family. But we know the story. Their warnings were rejected. And the angel took Lot and his family out of Sodom and took them to a safe place. And fire and brimstone was rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah. Billy Graham was writing a book, and he gave his wife, Ruth, the draft of the book to read. And uh, when she was finished reading it, she said to him, if God doesn't punish America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. When we see what is happening around us, I believe we have surpassed Sodom and Gomorrah. We are living indeed the time of the end, as scripture will tell us. You know, probation closing has to do with God's spirit um, impacting the mind of people. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. So God's spirit is who will impress upon our heart to make a decision for or against Christ. We will resist the spirit or we'll accept it. And then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so when God closes probation, it's not an arbitrary closure. When probation closes, it's because God has seen that man already decided for him or against him. When the door of the ark was shut, it is not that the people may have later on changed their minds. No, 
Noah preached for 120 years. And so when God closed probation, it's because men already decided for or against him. When Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, probation was closed for Sodom and Gomorrah because men have already decided for God or against him. Just before Jesus comes a second time, everyone will have the opportunity to make a decision for him or against him, and then probation will be closed. We have seen the 2300-day prophecy. We've seen how the pendulum of time has struck precisely, exactly the timeline of this prophecy. Uh, We see where it started in 457 B.C., all the way to when Christ was baptized in in uh, 27 B.C., his crucifixion in A.D. 31. Stephen was stoned in A.D. 34 when the Jews' probation had closed as a nation to accept to be saved as a nation. And we saw that prophecy, precise fulfillment, to 1844, when the investigative judgment started in the kingdom of heaven. So at the moment, it's now over 100 years since the investigative judgment is going on. And so we are living in judgment time. We know, according to scripture, that the judgment started first at the house of God. And so we don't know when our names will be called, but the judgment is ongoing. And it's been over 100 years, so it means it's nearing its end. We don't know the time. The Bible didn't give us a time, but we know it's nearer than we think. Second Peter 3 and verse 4 and 10 tells us, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? And this is what scoffers will say. So where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. We haven't seen any changes. You've been talking about Jesus' coming forever. Where is he now? Verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. I'm so thankful, though, brethren, that for Christians, his coming will not be like a thief in the night. Because we are waiting and we are watching and we are looking for our God. So his coming will not be a surprise to us. And so Revelation is about Jesus coming for his children. Heaven is empty and lonely without us. He said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And if I, I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He is coming back for his children. Amen. And that's what Revelation is all about. But he wants us to be ready when he comes. And so the angel in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6 and 7 um, says, gave us a warning. It's, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him 
who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. That part of the verse, worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water, what does that bring back to your memory? Creation, Exodus chapter 20, the, 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 the fourth commandment, calling for Sabbath worship and worshiping God that day. But he also said, fear God and give glory to the creator because the hour of his judgment has come. Now, what does it mean to fear God? The Greek word for fear is phobio, which means respect and reverence and awe. Respect to obedience. So, Revelation's last day message presents Jesus in the fullness of his saving grace for all humanity. It is an earnest appeal to fear or give reverence to God in all we do, to respect his commands and obey his law in the light of God's judgment. To fear God, therefore, has to do with how we think. It is an appeal to live, to please God, and place him first in all our thoughts. It is an attitude of obedience that leads us to live godly lives. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is is man's all. Another translation says, the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether be good or evil. So let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So fearing God has to do with what we think. It has to do with obedience. So to fear God is a mental commitment that we make to love, respect, and obey God. God requires obedience out of love for him. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says in John 14 and verse 15. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 14, verse 21. The exercise of force is contrary to the principles of God's government. God desires only the service of love. Love cannot be commanded. It cannot be won by force or authority. Only by love is love awakened. To know God is to love him. His character must be manifested in contrast to the character of Satan. This work only one, can, one being in all the universe could do. That's the Zars of Ages, page 22. So to love, to know God is to love him. To love him is to obey him. And this, uh, this uh, warning is calling for us to make that commitment in our mind that we're going to love the Lord and obey him. Satan, on the other hand, he is coercing and commanding and demanding allegiance. He is in war for the throne of God. Isaiah 14, verse 13 and 14, for you, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high God. When you fear God, 
you will keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 6, verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me because I have hoped in your word. Christ, give us the grace that we need to obey him. Christ, give us the grace that we need to learn to fear him. For by whom, Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among all nations for his name. Mark Finley said in our last Sabbath school lesson, in an age of moral irresponsibility, when millions of people feel they are not accountable to no one but themselves, this judgment, our message, reminds us that we are responsible for our actions. There is a relationship between an attitude of reverence for God, obedience to God, and the judgment. Obedience is the fruit of a saving relationship with Jesus. Only his righteousness is good enough to pass the judgment, and his righteousness we are secure. Through his righteousness we glorify, we live to glorify his name in all that we do. So this message, to fear God, is a a call and a warning for us to come to that mental decision, that commitment that we will love, we'll fear, we'll respect, and obey God. It also called for us to give glory to him. It is an urgent appeal in the light of heaven's judgment hour to make God the center of our lives. What does it mean to make Christ the center of our lives? And what is the center of your life? Is it your job? Is it your car? Is it the house, your spouse, your children? What is the center of your life? The Bible said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. It says, set your affection or mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So set your mind is a deliberate action that we must carry forward. What about giving glory to God? It says, fear God and give glory to him. What does it mean to give glory to God? In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31 Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So giving glory to God has to do with our lifestyle. When we come to Jesus, we do what he desires, not what we desire. We do what he wants, not what we want. Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. And you can recall where that took place. He was in where? Gethsemane, with the decision, should I go forward with this or not? Should I go to the cross or not? Am I able to tolerate my complete eternal separation from my father or not? This was so agonizing for Jesus, he had sweats of blood coming from his forehead. And when he was done with his prayer, he said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And so when we are called to follow Jesus, it is his will and not ours that we do. So giving glory to God has to do with our lifestyle. Whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Did you know that our bodies are God's temple? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and verse 20. What? 
Knowing not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not of your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It says, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is, for the, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We are all God's temple. And he wants us to take care of our bodies. Sister White says in the book, Minister of Healing, our bodies are Christ's purchased possession. He died for us. And we are not at liberty to do with them as we please. All who understand the laws of health should realize that their obligation to obey these laws, which God has established in their being. Obedience to the laws of health is to be made a matter of personal duty. We ourselves must suffer the results of violated law. We must individually answer to God for our habits and practices. Therefore, the question with us is not, what is the world's practice, but how shall I, as an individual, treat the habitation that God has given me, my body, which is his temple? What are the laws of health? I've listed them here. Nutrition, laws that govern nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, air, rest, trust in God. These are all... Um, Medicine, these are all agents that God used to keep us healthy. I want to talk a little bit about the Adventist lifestyle. Some of the Adventists follow a plant-based diet. They're exercised regularly. Abstain from alcohol, caffeine, and illicit drugs. Don't smoke. Maintain a healthy weight. And trust in God. And with that, the, 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 the Adventist health study has shown that lifestyle does matter. Seventh-day Adventists live longer, happier, and healthier lives. Ten to twelve years compared to their counterpart, compared to their peers. What are some of the benefits of exercise? I'll just list a few things. Lowers high blood pressure. Improves circulation, lowers cholesterol, lowers rest and pulse. There are mental benefits of exercise. Improves sense of well-being. Increases energy efficiency and endurance. Lifts depression. Reduces stress. Improves quality of sleep. It exercise assists in weight control. Exercise boosts the immune system, lowers insulin requirements by using up the sugar from the bloodstream, those quadricep muscles, use the sugar directly from the bloodstream, drop the, the level of blood sugar, lessen your need for insulin, strengthen the bones and prevents osteoporosis. Regular exercise reduces cancer risk. Four hours per week reduces the risk by one-third. So those are some of the, the benefits of, the, of, of exercise, and that's all the, the laws of health that the Lord has given us to take care of our bodies. What about our minds? Satan wants to control our minds because it is our seat of intelligence. 
It is through which God communicates to us through the Holy Spirit. The Lord wants us to have clear minds, bright minds, so that he can communicate to us. We are admonished to guard well the avenues to our soul. In um, Acts of the Apostles, page 518, those who would not fall a prey to Satan devices must guard well the avenues of the soul. They must avoid reading, seeing, or hearing that which will suggest impure thoughts. The mind must not left to be dwelled at random upon every subject that the enemy of the souls may, may suggest. The heart must be faithfully sentineled, or evils without will awaken evils within, and the soul will wander in darkness. So we have to guard well the avenues of our soul. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Christ can keep our minds in the last days. You know, a lot of, the, when you look out there, the world has lost their mind. But as Christians, we have the peace of God, and he will keep our minds. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. There is a mind-body connection. And you can tell me, you don't, you don't need me to tell you about the mind-body connection. If something happens, you lost a loved one and you're grieving, you don't sleep, you don't eat, you feel weak, you feel tired, you feel fatigued, because your mind isn't feeling right. The body and the mind are intertwined, intimately connected. And so whatever we feed our mind on, whatever goes on in our mind will affect our overall health. And so the Lord promised to keep our minds. And also, I want to beseech you, Romans 12, verse 1, is beseeching. You know what it is to beseech? I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God with your reasonable service, the word body is translated from the Greek as somata, which is better translated as a collective sum of who you are, body, mind, and emotions. And so I will reread the text by putting in that translation. I believe you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your, your somata, body, mind, and emotions, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable God, which is your reasonable service, your whole body. Your lifestyle, what you think, what you do, what you read, what kind of movies you watch. When you surf the internet, what are you looking at? Everything should be subjected to Christ and showing a lifestyle that is giving glory to him. To obey the health laws is not legalism. You know, people will say, it's my body, I can do whatever you want. To obey the health laws is not taking away your rights. It is Christianity. In Christianity, we live to please the living Christ. Romans 12 and verse 1 urges us to present our bodies, our minds to Christ, our bodies to Christ, our emotions to Christ. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, 
by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, your samatha, your mind, your bodies, your emotions, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God with your reasonable service. And the Phillips translation translates reasonable service to be an intelligent act of worship. It actually means that when you're eating, you're worshiping. When you're, you're exercising, you're worshiping. When you're dressing, you're worshiping. Your entire lifestyle should be an act of worship to God. And in thus doing, we are giving glory to him. That's what the revelation message is all about. Fear God and give glory to him. Commit in your mind to worship, obey, and serve God and love him and live that into your lifestyle. Ministry of Healing, page 114, God desires us to reach the standard of perfection made possible for us by the gift of Christ. He calls upon us to make our choice on the right side to connect with heavenly agencies, to adopt principles that will restore in us the divine image. In his written word and in the great book of nature, he has revealed the principles of life. It is our work to obtain a knowledge of these principles and obedience, and by obedience to cooperate with him in restoring health to the body as well as to the soul. By obeying the health laws, we can reconnect with Christ in, um, by following his principles. Just repeating here, Revelation urgently appeal to fear God and give glory to him. It's a call to make a commitment in our heart and minds to reverence God, to respect God, to be in awe of God, to love God, and, to, and love in obedience to God, then to live this commitment out in our lifestyle, giving glory to him in whatever we eat or drink or do as we prepare for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the summary of it. God's people must take warning and discern the signs of the times. Talk about the signs of the times. That's a whole nother sermon. But there is no doubt in any of our minds that we are in the time of the end. We're living in the time of the end. Talk, look at the hurricanes, the fires, the pestilences, the diseases, the sicknesses. This is all Matthew 24. We are living in time of the end. These are signs of the times. The signs of Christ's coming are too plain to be doubted. And in view of these things, everyone who professes the truth should be a living preacher. God calls upon all, both preachers and people, to awake and heaven is astir. The scenes of earth's history are fast closing. We are amid the perils of the last days. Greater perils are before us, and yet we are not awake. This lack of activity and earnestness in the cause of God is dreadful. This death stupor is from Satan. He controls the minds of the unconsecrated Sabbath keepers and leads them to be jealous of one another, fault-finding, and censorous. It is his special work to divide hearts that will influence strength and, and, and labor of God's servants may be kept among unconsecrated Sabbath keepers, and their precious time be occupied in settling little differences when it should be spent in proclaiming the truth to unbelievers. So Satan is keeping us busy with the little things, putting us asleep while he get on with his things. The Bible says Satan knows he has but a short time, so he goes around like a roaring lion, 
seeking whom he can devour, and God's people who should be getting the work done are fast asleep. But I have hope. I have hope because you know what? The ten virgins woke up. The ten virgins all slept, but they all woke up. Yes, five were wise and five were foolish, but I pray to God that we all will be among the wise ones. So although we're sleeping, I believe we'll wake up one day because the virgins woke up. God's church woke up to usher in his second coming. But there's nothing that we can't accomplish with prayer and faith. Prayer and faith will do what no power on earth can accomplish. And so this morning, I appeal to all of us, including myself, let us pray earnestly for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can heed the warning of Revelation 14, 6, and 7. Let our prayer be, Lord, take my heart, because I cannot give it. We must pray, it is thy property, keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. Let us pray for a spiritual revival and awakening. Ask earnestly for his Holy Spirit power in our lives. Jesus is coming back for his children. Heaven is empty without us. The message of revelation is an urgent appeal to be ready for him. And at this time, I'll ask for us to stand with the, with the uh, closing song.